Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. So Matthew chapter 13, and we will begin reading in verse number 3. And the word of the Lord reads, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell on the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seed fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no roots, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. He who has ears, let him hear. A scripture that has been um, really speaking to me for quite some time now um, is from the letter to the Romans written by um, the Apostle Paul. And, and the text that I, uh, and it's a text I've been reading over and over and over and over again for more than a year now. And, and, it, and it's actually found in, in chapter 1 where Paul declares the theme of his letter to the Romans. Um, In verses 16 and 17, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, in this particular text, there is something I believe that we all need to hear, especially in this day and age. And the thing that we need to hear is that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. The gospel, the good news, is the power of God for salvation. You see, what this means is the power of God to save other people is not me. The power of God to save other people is not you. The power of God to save other people is not this church building. The power of God to save people is not programs like VBS and um, uh, small group Bible studies. The power of God to save other people is not Bible apps and and other study tools. Nor is it videos of high-profile preachers and pastors, though we love to watch them. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Now understand, all those things have their place in sharing the gospel and spreading the gospel, but they are not themselves the gospel, which means in and of themselves, they have no power to save. No matter how loving, no matter how compassionate, no matter how appealing they may be, they don't save. The gospel is what saves And this is important because we live in a time when so many people, so many of us struggle to boldly proclaim the gospel as it is. We live at a time when so many of us struggle to bear witness to the truth of the gospel. The Apostle Paul tells us that for the word word of the cross is folly. It is folly for those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved is the power of God. Paul helps us to understand the gospel to those who don't understand it, to those who don't receive it. It's offensive. 
right? It doesn't sit well with them. It upsets them. The gospel is offensive to those who are perishing. It's offensive to the outside world. The gospel is offensive to even many of our friends and our family and our neighbors, those who are not saved. And because of that, we struggle with the gospel. We struggle to share the gospel as it is. And, and I'll be honest, I feel at times a lot of pressure to soften up how we talk about Christ and our relationship to him. I feel pressure from people outside of the church to, to soften up and how I share Christ. And I really kind of expect that. I expect for people to push back when I, when I tell them about the gospel. But at times I also feel pressure inside of the church. I also get these hints and nudges and, and looks. Like, can we just soften this up a little bit? Can we just, you know, take the sting out of this a little bit? Do we have to really keep talking about this? And I understand where that comes from. I understand the hearts of where that comes from. It really doesn't come from a bad place. It comes from really a deep, deep desire to see people saved. It comes from a, from a desire to win the lost. It comes from an understanding that people just desperately need Jesus. They need him terribly. And, we, and, 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 and many of us think that if, we, if they would just hear, right? If they would just hear and understand how much Jesus loves them. If they would just hear that and then receive that and they would turn and then be saved. And many people, people say that, that all this talk about hell and sin and repentance is just so offensive. And it turns people off to the point that, that people won't listen. That's the idea that so many people hold on to. And because of, there's a lot of pressure culturally and a lot of pressure personally to really become one-dimensional in how we, we talk about our faith. To only really talk about and focus on the love of Christ. And only talk about our relationship with God. And, and that how it will make us more complete and fulfilled. And how Christ died for us. Right? And, 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 and is, is for us. But the problem is even though that those things are very true. And even though those things are very important. They are not by themselves. The gospel the gospel is not Jesus loves you, period. With nothing else. The, the, the truth is, if I stood up here and preached for 45 minutes on the, the love of Christ, the love that Christ has for you, I would certainly be speaking the truth, but I would not be sharing with you the whole gospel. Which means the knowledge that Jesus loves you is not enough to save you. Because the gospel is more than just that. The gospel is not just Jesus telling us all are welcome to come to me, period. The gospel is not just, you know, come to Jesus, right? Because he understands your pain, period. The gospel is not just Jesus, you know, uh, come to Jesus so that you can go to heaven, period. The gospel is more than that. And the gospel certainly encompasses all of those things, Right? But, but those things themselves, by themselves, are not the entire gospel. You see, if there is to be good news, there must be bad news that the good news solves. If there is mercy and grace, there must be a reason for mercy and grace. If there is forgiveness, then there must be something 
to forgive. If there is salvation, there must be something that we're being saved from. And the problem is, these other things are offensive to most people. The talk about hell and sin and the wrath of God and the sovereignty of God and His holiness, those things are not popular. Those things are not in vogue. In fact, it is seen as many, even Christians, as counterproductive. We don't want to say those things. We don't want to hurt people's feelings. We don't want to offend anyone. And because of that, many are tempted to really soften the gospel, to soften the words that we use. In fact, many people will, will change our approach now. We talk about the gospel, even to the point where there are some people and even churches who, will, who refuse to say that the Bible is God's inerrant word. They just refuse to say that and acknowledge that. They refuse to say that faith must, must be coupled with repentance. And they refuse to say that if your life really hasn't changed, then there's a chance that you might not really have had a relationship with Christ in the first place, regardless of how many times you've prayed that prayer. There seems to be this tendency that, that we want to try to apologize for the sting of conviction that the gospel brings. To try to downplay the offense of the cross. There's this tendency to try and change the gospel. And again, the rationalization always comes back to, well, you know, this approach isn't really reaching everyone. Some people are just turned off by the concept of, you know, a loving God sending people to hell. If we're going to reach this generation, then we need to learn to... to to talk about Jesus in a different way. We just need to, to, to let people see the love of Jesus and everything we do and let it all the rest of it take care of itself. And, and I want you to, to not misunderstand me. I'm always open to new and creative ways to share and expose the beauty of Christ. Always. I'm always open to, to new and exciting ways to put on full display the magnificent love of God. And I'm certainly open to new ways to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with other people. But I'm not open to a new gospel. I'm not open to a different gospel. And I'm not open to a partial gospel. I'm only open to one true gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the one gospel that is the power to save sinners, even if some people reject it. Now, the thing is, Jesus actually addresses this issue. 2,000 years ago, he addressed this issue. Because the truth is, the gospel was hard for people to hear back then. You see, there's nothing really new under the sun. People resisted words like sin and hell and repentance back then too. People were offended by the gospel even back then. So what we, what we see is that there's no difference what we see today and what's around us is really no different than what they saw around them. People were offended by the truth of the gospel. So let's take a moment and look at this text and see what Jesus has to say about this. And when we talk about it, what we'll do is we'll also then expand that and to see how this affects our lives and how, we, how it affects how we share the gospel with other people. Now... As we said, the book of Matthew, where we find our text, 
It was written with a clear purpose. And that purpose was to proclaim to the world that Jesus was in fact the Messiah. He was the reigning king. And throughout this, the book of Matthew, Jesus talks about his kingdom. The kingdom, and he says what the kingdom of heaven is like. And in his Beatitudes and in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us that, that those who live in this kingdom live radically different lives. That those who belong to Christ live visibly different than the rest of the world. That, that believers stand out and look different than everyone else. And so over and over, Matthew records for us Jesus clearly preaching the gospel. And as he does so, he calls people to both faith and repentance. In fact, his first proclamation, he begins his ministry. The very first words out of his mouth are, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, as he preached, you know, and, and as, he, as he talked about all this stuff, he talked about God's faithfulness. But he also talked about God's love. And he talked about sin. And he talked about man's faithlessness. He talked about God's judgment and, and wrath and hell. And he talked about obedience to the word of God. And he talked about heaven. And he talked about, you know, how loving God is. And how we should love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then in chapter 12, leading up you know, to, uh, to our text, what we find is a lot of people are rejecting the gospel. They're rejecting Jesus Christ, Jesus himself. In fact, many people were saying that, that his power came from Beelzebub or the devil. Many people were conspiring to arrest him and have him killed. Many people were asking you know, for him to do more and more and more signs because the miracles that he was doing... And, 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 and the, 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 uh, the, the healings that he was performing was just simply not enough to convince them of the truth of the gospel. And then beginning in chapter 13, Jesus begins to teach in parables about the kingdom of heaven. And the first parable we find in this section in Matthew is a parable that deals with why people are rejecting the gospel. And so let's take this text in and look at it beginning in verse 3. He says, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, and they did not have much soil, were scorched. I mean, excuse me, did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up. And since they had no depth of soil, right, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, the good news is that this parable is something that Jesus wanted everyone to understand. And so Jesus doesn't leave it there for us to guess at what he means by this. He actually takes the time and gives us the explanation of what this parable is talking about. And he says in verse 18, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was been sown in his heart and what was sown along the path. And for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arise on account of the word, immediately falls away. As for the what was sown among the thorns, this was the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word, and it proves unfruitful. 
And for what was sown in the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. Indeed, bears fruit and yields. In one case, a hundredfold, another 60, and another 30. Now, the first thing I want you to realize is that this parable is not about the sower himself, per se. It's actually about the soil. In fact, this parable of the sower, many people have named... I mean, the parable of the sower is... Some people have called it the parable of the soils. And the reason why is the soil is the variable in this parable. The soil is what changes. Really, the soil is the point of the story. Because notice that the sower and the seed never change. They remain constant. They remain the same throughout this parable. The soil is what changes, and the soil is the focus. Now, even though this parable has a really clear meaning, there's a lot of people who tend to allegorize this parable and turn this message into something that it's not. And so let's just take a moment and get really clear about the basics of what Jesus had in mind when he told this parable. And the first thing I want you to understand is the sower in this parable is Christ himself. Jesus is the sower. He's the one doing the sowing. Either directly through his own proclamation and his own preaching or indirectly through his disciples. Jesus is the sower. You see, that's why we're called the ambassadors for Christ. That's why we're called his body. That's why we're the the hands and feet of Jesus. We are representing Jesus, not ourselves. When we faithfully proclaim the gospel... It is as if Jesus himself, Jesus himself is sowing the word, right? Jesus himself is the sower. And then the seed represents the message of salvation. And this is really important for our understanding because that's what it means in the context. There are a lot of people who want to take this and say, well, what it means is generically God's word, generically, in everything that God may have said. But ultimately, Christ's point when he says the word, he's talking about the message of salvation that he is preaching. And, and you, can, you can certainly t- make application, you know, the other way, you know, as believers and use it to, to grow and, and understand that, you know, maybe we have at times our hearts a little bit hard and we need to have it plowed. Or sometimes we get rocks in our heart, you know, and, or sometimes we get, let the cares of the world get in the way. But ultimately... Ultimately, this is about the message of salvation. And then the soil itself represents the human heart, which is really the point of this story. It's about the different conditions of the human heart and how they respond to salvation. And what we need to understand from the outset is that the rejection of the gospel, the rejection of the message of salvation has nothing to do with the sower or the seed or even the method. People don't reject the gospel because of the gospel itself. People don't reject the uh, Christ because of Christ himself. They reject it because of their hearts. They reject the message because of their hearts. The problem isn't the messenger. The problem is the human heart. And that right there is the point of this parable. Jesus is going to demonstrate for us how our hearts respond to the gospel. And so the four different soils represent four different heart conditions. To the way that 
that, that people respond to the message of salvation. Four different heart conditions and four different ways that we respond to the message of salvation. And so Jesus begins to say, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed some seed, it fell along the path. Now when Jesus says the path, he is talking about an established walking trail. So he's not talking about loose cultivated ground. He is talking about an established walkway. Now what happens to dirt or soil when people repeatedly walk on it over time? Obviously it gets hard and it gets compacted. Well, that's the word picture that Jesus is using to paint here. He's talking about a hard soil. Right? And when you, what happens when you drop like seeds on a hard soil? It just sits there on the surface, waiting for something or someone to come pick it up. And this is an illustration of, of people's hearts. The hard soil represents a hard heart. I think we all know people like this, right? right? You invite them to church, you know, you, you, and you want to share with them the truth of the gospel, and they just outright reject it. Right? They're those people who, who, who hate you know, religion or who hate Jesus. They don't want to have anything to do with your faith. They don't want to hear you talk about the gospel. Right? Your love for them doesn't change that. Your, you know, your, your testimony and what happened in your life doesn't really impact them. The message of the gospel seems almost like it's wasted on them. They are hard-hearted and they overtly reject the gospel. They overtly reject Jesus. That's why Jesus says the sower sows seed in their hearts and then the devil comes to snatch it away before it takes root in their life. These are hardened people to the gospel and the enemy keeps them hardened. Then Jesus says the other soil, other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. You see, the rocky soil represents a shallow heart. A shallow heart. In fact, Jesus himself says, as for what was sown in the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Now that hard-hearted person is, is really kind of easy for us to identify. And it's really easy for us to understand. But the shallow-hearted person can cause us really great distress. Uh, because we live in a world of microwave results. We want it now. We want results now. And then we combine that with a church philosophy of easy believism. And, and, and this is something, as we talked about a lot, that, that in the, the 20th century, the church has been marked by the church growth movement and the idea that the most important thing is numerical growth in the church. Get as many professions of faith as you can get and get as many people in seats as you can. And, and for years, the dominant philosophy of the church has then been pray this little prayer and you can be saved. In fact, I went to um, the grocery store in Mojave on Thursday. Not my favorite thing in the world to do. Um, but I, I did it because I love my wife and I wanted to serve her and take care of that. And um, I was there for like two hours because... You know, I have a long list and, you know, it's, I'm going, I went to a different store I normally do. So it's laid out differently. So it's taking me a while and I'm walking back and forth to the aisles and I'm probably starting to grumble a little bit, you know, 
And obviously, I think that it probably looked like I might be wore out, maybe a little bit irritated. And then this lady I've never met in my life walks up to me and gets like really close and says, well, why don't we pray so you can receive Jesus? Now, I was thinking maybe she was just going to say, why don't we pray? That's cool. But she's like, why don't we pray so you can receive Jesus? Now, understand, I am never, ever, ever, ever opposed to praying, especially when I'm tired and especially when I'm grumpy and I know that I need, you know, God's grace or when I need his help. But she didn't suggest praying so I could have some strength or have a better attitude. She just approached me so I could receive Jesus as if that's all this that it takes, right? There was like no gospel explanation at all, right? There was no conviction of sin, no repentance, no explanation of who Jesus is, just pray so you can receive Jesus. And I politely told her that I already knew Jesus and, you know, I thanked her and then she was on her way. But, but the fact is the 20th century has been marked by, by altar calls and sinners prayers and grand crusades where millions of people have made professions of faith. And don't get me wrong, asking for decisions to follow Christ and helping people to pray to receive Christ and big evangelistic events. Those are all All good things. But those are not the things that save. What saves is the gospel actually penetrating into a person's heart. Billy Graham, probably the greatest evangelist of our time, maybe even like of all time, was asked how many people did he think actually were converted? You know, of all the people who came forward as crusades, how many people did he think actually were saved? And he said he hoped five percent that's what his hopes were because he knew right just because a person comes forward and that they receive joy and you know doesn't mean they actually receive the gospel it doesn't mean that they actually have been converted and we, we we all have experienced people like that people who come to church and they hear a sermon and they get all emotional and interior-eyed and they come forward and they 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 want to give their life to christ and they seem to have received the word of god with great joy but then they encounter the fact that, that the christian life isn't a fairy tale that, that all their problems didn't magically go away they find out that, that their depression and anxiety just didn't miraculously just vanish into thin air that they still battle things like addiction and, and their spouse might not have come back. And then they realize that following Christ actually means obedience and denying ourselves and picking up our cross and following Jesus as he commands us. And worse, sometimes being a Christian is harder because people reject you and persecute you and, and turn their back on you. And many people who profess faith in Christ fall away. As Jesus said, their hearts were shallow and their supposed faith was even more shallow, which means the gospel didn't penetrate their mind and their spirit. They had a superficial understanding of the gospel. All they heard one Sunday was Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And that's all it took for them to come and, and, and receive that with joy, only to find that they really didn't even believe the gospel because when Jesus when following Jesus got hard, they fell away. I think we, we know people like that. We've seen that. Now, it's not like these people will say, you know, this Jesus stuff really got hard, so I quit. What ends up happening is they just simply just start beginning to get disconnected. 
They stop coming to church. They don't come to Bible study. They stop reading the word. They fall out of fellowship. And the next thing you know, they're just completely disconnected, living their life the way that they used to live. And understand, they won't say, you know what, I'm not a Christian anymore. What they will say is they, they'll still say, I'm, I'm a believer. I believe in Jesus. I love Jesus. But they won't live like they do. And then when you invite them back to church, they will say things like, well, you know, you know, I, I, you know I'm all about Jesus. I'm just not down with organized religion. Or, you know, um, you know I, I'm not interested in, in church and the rules and and, and I'm not, you know, and, and, and they'll say, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. Because the truth is, what they want is the parts of Jesus and Christianity that tickles their ears, but not the complete gospel and what it means to follow Christ. And so they're shallow hearted. Next on the list is the soil with thorns, which represents a distracted or a divided heart. Jesus tells us that other seeds fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up and choked them. And Jesus explains, as for, for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the, the word and prove unfruitful. This right here is a picture of a divided or a distracted heart, a picture of someone who wants to be all in for Jesus, but they want to be all in for everything else too. They see the beauty of Christ and they see the joy of a relationship with him. But the problem is they just won't completely sell out for him. Because everything else gets in the way. This actually reminds us of the story of the rich young synagogue ruler that we've talked about in the past. Remember, he comes to Jesus and says, good teacher, what good things should I do so I can have eternal life? And Jesus says, if you will enter life, keep the commandments. And he says, well, which ones? And he said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall, I mean, you honor uh, your father and your mother. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, all these I've kept from my youth. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have, give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. The cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches kept him from receiving the gospel. But too many people hear the gospel today that requires no sacrifice at all. It seems to not indicate a sacrifice at all. They hear a gospel where it's all about them. It's all about their life. Come to Jesus and your problems will go away. Come to Jesus so you can live your best life now. Come to Jesus and he will make sure that you're healthy, wealthy, and happy. Come to Jesus because he died so you won't be lonely. Come to Jesus so you don't feel bad about yourself. And again, people will line up to make professions of faith. And they might even start attending church and they will lift up their hands and worship and they will go buy the, the Jesus bumper sticker for their car. But then slowly, as the cares of the world creep back in, it begins to choke out the word in their life and they begin to fade away because they weren't really actually sold out for Christ. They didn't actually fully embrace the gospel. They didn't understand that... that the, the price that was paid to set them free. Many don't even, aren't even aware that they need to be set free in the first place. 
They're not aware that true believers are bought with a price. And that price motivates Christians to love and cherish and and value God above all else. They're not aware of the greatest problem that they're ever going to face is not financial ruin. It is not divorce. It's not persecution. It is not the internet failing. The worst problem they're ever going to face is the wrath of God that abides on all sinners. And that wrath leads to an eternity separated in hell. And these people with a divided heart are distracted. And they think they want Jesus, but they, what they want is, is, a, is their pet Jesus as long as it doesn't cost them anything or cause them to be uncomfortable. But they, they want Jesus and they also want to be rich and have a life of luxury without any strings attached. They want... They want stuff, and they want their status, and they want the approval of men more than they want Christ. And they claim to follow Jesus as long as the cost isn't too high. They will follow Jesus as long as they're allowed to believe that the relationship with Christ is about them. But at some point, they discover their faith isn't about them. It's about the glory of God. Their life It's about bringing glory to God no matter what the cost is to us personally. And just like others, they will begin to slowly fade away. You see, they all have something in common. The person with a hard heart is an unsaved, lost unbeliever. And so is the shallow heart, and so is the distracted heart. They are all unbelievers. Even if they come forward, even if they prayed some prayer, even if they're filled with so much joy, they start attending church faithfully, they're still unbelievers. The fact is there are really only two types of people in this parable. Believers and unbelievers. Three out of the four represented here are unbelievers, even though some might feel like they have faith. It was during the the first great awakening, Jonathan Edwards, he was a prolific preacher and thousands and thousands and thousands of people came to see him preach. And he had a profound impact on, on the Christian revival in America. Again, it was the first great awakening. I mean, God was on the move. And many people came to his, his sermons and, and made professions of faith. And, and, and we're talking about still thousands and thousands and thousands of people, people professing that Christ is Lord. And one day somebody came to him and said, what a great sermon. How many people do you think got saved today? And he said, you know, we'll know in a few years. We'll know in a few years. The reason why he said that is because he understood that many people will make a profession of faith. And many people will seem to receive the gospel with joy. But many people, you know, will, will seem to have understood, but then they will fall away, proving that they never really received the gospel. Many people will will have shallow hearts or divided hearts. And the thing is, that was true then during Edward's time. It's true now. And it was even true during Jesus' time. The real gospel of Jesus Christ is a dividing line. It is offensive to many people and they will reject it either outright or they will at least reject parts of it because they have a shallow heart or a divided heart. People have always, since the beginning, rejected the gospel. 
Which then leads to the question, how do we know if someone really actually believes the gospel? Well, Jesus helps us to see that when he talks about the good soil. You see, the good soil represents a fruitful heart. Again, Jesus says, the other seed fell on good soil and produced grain, some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And again, Jesus explains this as he says, as for the, what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, another sixty, another thirty. Now, there are really two important things I need for you to understand this text. And I want you to know we could probably do a long sermon series just on the, the parable of the, the sower by itself. But there, there are two things I want you to see in this, this, this little part right here. The first thing I want you to notice is the phrase where Jesus says that a person hears the word and understands it. The phrase understand it comes from the Greek word suniami. Suniami is the word. And this word carries with it a really important idea. We hear understand, but I want you to really kind of hear all the things that kind of that hold this together. All right. Suniamin means together with, right? It also means to put together. It means to, to, to join like facts and ideas together into a comprehensive interlocking whole, right? It means to kind of synthesize. That's the, that's the idea here. It's like putting together the pieces of a puzzle is really what it means to understand in this context. Right? That's the idea here. And in order for someone to truly understand the gospel, and in order for them to put the pieces together in a way that changes them and saves them, two things need to happen. First... God must supernaturally enable them to understand and receive the word, which I'm going to talk about in a minute. And the second thing is it requires they have all the pieces. If you're going to put a puzzle together, how many of you put a puzzle together only to find that there's some pieces missing? Okay? If you're going to put a puzzle together, you need all the pieces. If you're going to understand the gospel, if you're going to put the pieces together and synthesize them in your mind and heart so you understand it, so it can save you, then you must have all the pieces, which means we need to help people hear the entire gospel. They need to hear about the love of God and His anger. They need to hear about the grace of God and His wrath. They need to hear that Jesus is the one who died for them. But he is also the one who will judge them if they reject him. They need to hear that, yes, Jesus, that God loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for you. And that he paid an incomprehensible, but he, he paid an incomprehensible price for you. And so you're not your own anymore. You belong to him. They need to hear that you are saved by grace through faith. And it's not of your works. But now that you're saved, get busy and get to work. They need to hear that Jesus was a flesh and blood man, but he was also fully God. And they need to hear it all. Not just the soft parts. They need to hear the entire gospel, which includes heaven and hell and forgiveness and judgment. 
If there's any hope of someone being saved, they must hear all of it. Even the offensive stuff. Even the stuff that's hard to hear. Even the stuff that convicts us and pierces our hearts and, 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 and makes us want to, to cry. Because if we don't hear all of it, then we're not going to understand the gospel. What we will hear is a message that will scratch our itching ears and ultimately will cost us our soul. And condemn them to hell. Because what, what they're believing is not the gospel, but a false gospel. That's why we need to share the whole truth, the whole message of salvation. We need to understand that when other people reject it and they fall away, then it's not you. It's not Jesus. It's not the gospel that's the issue. It is their heart. That's why they reject the gospel is because something is wrong with their heart. That's why God must do something to help them to supernaturally understand the gospel. He must open their minds to the gospel and prepare their hearts. I can't tell you how many times I heard the gospel when I was young. And in my young adult life, I heard it. I knew. I heard the story. I heard all before But it wasn't until that God had opened my heart to it that it finally, I really heard it and received it. You see, only a fertile heart can receive the gospel. But a fertile heart is not something that you and I can control. Only God controls whether or not a heart is fertile or not. The only way for for your heart to become fertile is for God to get in there and to get to work And begin to pull the rocks out and to cut the the thorns out. And apply the, the, the plow of conviction and till the soil of your hearts. That's why we say that salvation is completely the work of God. Only God can take out that heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. Only God can make ready a heart to receive the gospel. And oftentimes God does that through the painful, piercing words of the gospel. The words that cut deep into our hearts. There's a reason why the Bible's called the sword. It, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. God uses the offensive parts of the gospel of his word to dig deep in the soil of our hearts. As Charles Spurgeon said, that the Holy Spirit employs the plow of conviction to till up the soil to make it ready to receive the gospel. And that's why we must always, always share the entire gospel because it, the gospel, is the power of God to save sinners. As Paul says in Romans 1. And he says, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed because it's the power to change lives. I'm not ashamed that people reject it. I'm not ashamed that it's offensive to some people. I'm not ashamed that people get irritated with me when I talk about things like hell because the gospel is a supernatural power to transform lives. Now, the second thing that we need to notice about this section is this idea of fruit. Jesus says, as for what was sown was good soil. And this is, and, and this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, another 60, and another 30. You see, the point of this message is that a, that, that a Christian is known by his fruit. Jonathan Edwards said, we, you know, we're going to know whether or not these people that made professions of faith will be Christians in a few years 
right? Because he knew that not eventually those who actually received Christ, those who were actually born again, they would begin to have a different life. Their lives would bear fruit. You would see the evidence of their faith in their lives. While other people reject the gospel, while others fall away over time, those who belong to God, those who truly understand the gospel would begin to have lives that demonstrate for the world to see that they are indeed the children of God. They, their lives will change. Right? The God they once rejected, they will love with a deep abiding love. The sin that they once loved, they will begin to hate. And over time, they'll become more and more humble. And they begin to be more compassionate. And their ability to love will grow to a deeper ability to love. And they will begin to miraculously be able to forgive and show grace where they were not able to do so before. And they will progressively begin to grow deeper in their hunger for God and his word. And they will find that their heart is growing for their brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, Romans chapter 12. The Apostle Paul paints a really good picture of what a transformed life begins to look like. He says, in beginning of verse 9, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good, like glue. That's what hold fast there means. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another, showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality. Here comes the hard one. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haunty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And if possible... As much as it depends on you, and a lot of it does depend on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. That one bears repeating, I think. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for as written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing, you will... You will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. A Christian will ultimately be known, not because he made some profession of faith at an altar call, not because he said some prayer when he's five years old, like me, not because he cries and raises his hands when he worships. A Christian will be known by the fruit of his life. A Christian will be known because he or she will day by day become more and more and more like Christ in their life. And that is, the, and that is only possible when the seed of the gospel falls on good soil in a heart that God has prepared to receive it. Now, one of the things that I need for you to notice is, that, is how Jesus says he indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold another 60 another 30 and what you need to understand is that not everyone this is important not everyone is going to have the same level of fruitfulness in their life as everyone else all at the same time and this is super important for two reasons this is this should encourage you because the goal isn't for you to measure yourself against another christian 
This is really, really important. The goal is not for you to measure yourself against other Christians. The goal is to bear fruit progressively in your life. A little more, a little more, a little more. And so when you meet that perfect Christian, say praise God for them and say praise God, I have to be them. Right? The second reason why it's important is because it should caution us. This should caution us how we view people. First, when, when someone makes a profession of faith, we need to rejoice and be excited for them. But we also need to sit back and wait and watch and see if, if there's real fruit in their lives. That's why the Bible encourages the church not to make leaders out of new converts. Right? The Bible encourages us to be patient and wait and see. Right? That's, the reason, that's the reason why was we uh, developed the worship team. Is people want to come and be part of that. We have a wait and see attitude. Let's see the fruit. Is that where God wants you to be? Let's see the fruit of that. Because a person, they're a Christian, he or she will bear fruit. Now, another way that it should cause us to be cautious um, is that we should be more observant and not quick to judge. All Christians mature at different rates. This is an important thing for all of us to keep in mind. This is something that I have to remind myself all the time. All Christians mature at different rates. And they will bear fruit at different times. And we need to be patient with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Sometimes their theology isn't the same as ours. Sometimes they're not as far down the road as, as we are. We need to be patient with our brothers and sisters and allow them the opportunity to grow before insisting that they bear fruit in the ways that we have. Our job isn't so much to judge them, but to be patient and to, and to be fruit inspectors, so to speak. We need to be careful and we need to be carefully and patiently looking at our brothers and sisters' lives and to see if there's fruit there. And then when we see it, encourage them and help them to grow and understand that God grows people at different rates. He grows in his own time and not our own. Again, if there's anything in, in, in this that really applies to me, this is the one because I really struggle sometimes. I need to always remember that God is working people's hearts at different In different ways. So the goal again is bearing fruit. Because all who trust in Christ. Eventually will bear fruit. That's how you. That's how you'll know. If someone truly heard the gospel. And believed the gospel. Now. Now that we got all that out of the way. what What do we do with this? Now that we understand this truth. How do we apply it? Well I'd like to give you four things to think about. As we wrap up this morning. Four quick things. And our job as Christ followers really is to sow the seed. I think this is important for us to just kind of wrap our heads around. Because I think some of us think we're excluded for this. I think some of us think that we're called to do more than this. Every one of us is called to be a representative of Christ and get busy sharing the gospel everywhere we go. And understand our job is not to save people. It might seem counterintuitive, right? But remember, we can't save anybody. I can't save anyone. You can't save anyone. Salvation is the work of God. Our job is to scatter the seed as far and wide as we can. And then what we do is we trust that that it will land in the hearts where God wants it to land in the fertile soil that it needs to land in, understanding that a lot of that seed is going to fall on deaf ears. A lot of that seed is not going to be productive at all. 
That's kind of like the nature of the story is that there's going to be a lot of seeds scattered and not all of it's going to get you results. But our job is to trust what God is doing. Right? And trusting that God will change the hearts of those who do not have good soil. In fact, we are to pray that God changes hearts. We're to pray that God would apply the plow of conviction and remove the rocks and the thorns. When you share the gospel with someone and they reject it, you need to understand that it's not you and it's not Christ and it's not the gospel that's the issue. It's their heart and your job then is to pray that God would change their heart. And then when someone professes faith in Christ and claims to be a Christian, then you need to inspect the fruit. You need to look and see, you know, does their life match their testimony? Does their, their, their walk match their talk? And again, this isn't us sitting in judgment over one another. This is rather how we, we, we know what to do because we want to help. Because if, if somebody is shallow and we figure it out or if they have a divided heart, what we need to do is go back and pray for them and we need to keep sowing the seeds of the gospel, which ultimately means we need to keep sowing Praying and inspecting. That's what the Christian life and Christian walk is about. It's about. That's what the Great Commission is about. It's about sowing the seeds of the gospel everywhere we go. And trusting that it will land where God wants it to. Praying that God would change hearts and make the, the, the soil fertile. And then inspecting to see if there's fruit. And then repeat. And keep sowing and keep praying and keep inspecting. That's how we will do our part for the kingdom of God. Sow the seed, pray that God would change hearts, and see what God is doing in their lives. And if I may add one thing that's not on your notes, is this. Let us never, ever be ashamed of the gospel. As Paul says, it's the power of God to save anyone who believes. So... How about you? Have you believed? And I say that because that's the question we as Christians should always ask. Even people that we think that have been Christians for a long time, we always need to preach the gospel to one another. Have you believed? Have you truly understood the gospel and believed? Examine your hearts. And if you see the fruits of repentance in your life, if you see how God has changed you, then you know. That's why, why James gives us that admonition, faith without works is dead. That's why Paul tells us that we were created in Christ Jesus for good works, that those who belong to God ultimately be changed. In fact, one of my favorite stories, and I'll wrap up with this, is uh, by a preacher named Paul Washer, and he was trying to explain how, how this change must, must manifest itself on some level. And he said, just, just imagine if I was late to this meeting here, right? And when I got here, you were like, Brother Paul, you were late. What's going on? He said, well, you know what? You, you won't believe this, but I, I had a flat tire on, my, on the interstate on the way over here. And while I was, well, when that happened, I, I knew I had to hurry up. So I decided to change the tire myself. And I got down, I started pulling the lug nuts off. And then when I did, one of the lug nuts flew off and went behind me into the freeway. And I turned around without thinking, and I grabbed the lug nut, but I inadvertently stepped in front of a... Um, an 80-ton logging truck, and it hit me. And then they would say, Brother Paul, it's preposterous. And he said, why is it preposterous? Because you can't have an encounter with an 80-ton logging truck and not be changed. 
Well, as he says, you cannot have an encounter with the greatest force in the entire universe, the, cre- the creator God of all things. You cannot come into a pers- close personal relationship with that God and not be changed. All those who believe will bear fruit. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for those who believe. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for all of it. I thank you for all the parts that make me feel good, like the fact that your word promises that you'll never leave me or forsake me, that you will always be with me, that if God is for me, who could be against me? That you work all things together for the good of those who love you and called according to your purpose. I love you, and I know I'm called by you. I love all the parts that tell me that you, that you love me, that you weep for me, that you have promised good for me. Goodness, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Right? Those are all the things that I thank you for. But I also thank you for the reminder that Jesus had to die for a reason. And that reason is because I'm a sinner and I'm broken because of it. And I can't fix it. But that it was your pleasure to crush your own son to set me free. And Father, so I pray that all of us would be mindful of the entirety of the gospel and never shy away of talking about the difficult stuff. Because sometimes people just need to hear it. Sometimes they need to hear that they're not a good person. Sometimes they need to hear that they're broken. Sometimes they need to hear, though, that they can be forgiven. That no matter who they are, no matter where they've been, what they've done, that God can rescue them. And so I thank you for the beauty and the complexity and the simplicity and all the elements of the gospel. And I pray that, Father, you would impress it into all of our hearts, Lord. And, Lord, that you would make us bold, Lord. You would would make us bold, Lord, to walk out of here and to share that hope with our neighbors and our friends and our families, Lord, so they too would be saved. We thank you for that. We thank you for this congregation here. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. And please consider partnering with us financially as we share the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ with our community and with the world.